Good morning. The terror begins unobtrusively. Noises in the attic, in the child's room, an odd smell, the displacement of furniture, an icy chill. At first, easy explanations are offered. Then frightening changes begin to appear in 11-year-old Regan. Medical tests fail to shed any light on her symptoms, but it's as if a different personality has invaded her body. Father Damien Carras, a Jesuit priest, is called in. Is it possible that a demonic presence has possessed the child? Exorcism seems to be the only answer. But do they understand the true nature of what they're about to unleash? Well, that's the blurb from the back of the novel, The Exorcist. But it could just as easily be the introduction to today's passage. Because in today's passage, Jesus drives out a demon. He performs an exorcism. And interestingly, that only takes one verse of the passage. Luke then spends the next 22 verses of today's reading explaining what on earth that all means. Because he wants us to understand the true nature of what is being unleashed here by Jesus. Because what is being unleashed by Jesus in these verses, it is massive. And it has worldwide eternal consequences that involve us all. But let's start by looking on first as Jesus drives out a demon. We'll pick it up from Luke 11 and verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. Now, I don't know what, uh, what you think about this kind of stuff, but I reckon it's weird. And I reckon it's a bit scary, to be honest. I mean, I've never seen anyone do anything remotely like this before. Got no idea what it would have looked like for Jesus to be driving a demon out. Was he just praying for the guy? Did he have his hands on him? Was there some kind of big struggle going on? Was it in a dimly lit room with furniture being thrown around and people screaming? Maybe it was just out in broad daylight on a sunny morning like this. I don't know. It's weird and it sounds scary. But maybe that's at least partly because we're kind of just jumping in here uh, cold in Luke 11. If you've been reading the first 10 chapters of Luke in preparation for this morning, you will have noticed that this isn't the first time Jesus has driven a demon out of someone. In fact, if you've been reading Luke from the beginning, you should actually be expecting this kind of thing. Because this is exactly what Jesus said he would do way back at the start of his ministry. Remember back in Luke chapter 4? Back at the start of his ministry, Jesus stood up in a synagogue in Nazareth and he read from the, uh, the scroll of Isaiah. This is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to release the oppressed. From the very beginning, Jesus' ministry has been all about setting people free. It's been a ministry of release. And that's exactly what Jesus has been doing ever since. He's been setting people free from sickness and death. He's been releasing people from demons and from the power of Satan. So, for example, back in chapter 5, you might remember, Jesus healed a man who had leprosy. He said to another guy, a paralyzed guy, your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your mat and go home. A couple of chapters later, in chapter 7, 
He healed a centurion servant just by speaking. He raised a widow's son back to life from the dead. In chapter 8, he healed a man who was possessed by a legion of demons, remember? He sent them out into a herd of pigs. In chapter 9, he healed another boy who was possessed by an evil spirit. The spirit would come on this boy and it would make him scream out obscene things and it would throw him on the ground convulsing and having fits. It would make him foam at the mouth. And Jesus rebuked the spirit and it came out and the boy was released. Jesus has been doing this thing, these kind of things over and over and over again. He said it's what he was going to do. So it's not really surprising he does it again here, is it? It's a bit weird, but it's not surprising. The big question, though, I reckon, is what does it actually mean? Jesus drives out a demon, but what's the significance of that? What's it showing us? What's it telling us about Jesus? Well, that seems to be what the crowd was wondering. As they looked on, the crowd had a number of different responses as they tried to figure out what it all meant. Have a look again at verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. In general terms, the crowd who was there watching, they were amazed. They were excited. They were kind of marvelling at what Jesus could do. But even that response is a bit vague. It's like they're impressed by Jesus, but they're still not exactly sure who he is and what it is that he's doing and whether it's safe to trust him. They still seem to be wondering, what does it mean? And some of them start to think that maybe Satan has given Jesus the power to drive out demons. Have a look at verse 15. Some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Now, Beelzebub, that's just another name for Satan. And some people in the crowd wonder whether it's by Beelzebub, by Satan, that Jesus is driving out demons. Sure, he can drive out a demon, but what does that really mean? Is that even a good thing? Still, others in the crowd, they want to test Jesus more. They want more science. So verse 16. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. These people want to test Jesus out. They want more proof. They want more evidence. They want to know where he gets his authority from. They want to know whether his ministry is authentic. It's impressive, sure, but what does it really mean? Well, thankfully, knowing their thoughts, Jesus tells the crowd exactly what they want to know. He goes on to tell them that driving out a demon, it means that he's here to overthrow the kingdom of Satan and to instead bring in the kingdom of God. Let's pick it up from verse 17. And essentially what Jesus is saying here is, I don't get my power and authority to drive out demons from Satan because even Satan's not that dumb. Verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. His point's pretty obvious, isn't it? Any kingdom that's fighting against itself, it'll be ruined. Any house that's divided against itself, it'll fall. Even Satan, if he's divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? 
It can't, right? That's exactly Jesus' point. And so, of course, what that means is that Jesus doesn't get power and authority from Satan. He's not driving out demons by Beelzebub. It just doesn't make sense. Even Satan's not that stupid. So if Jesus doesn't get the power and authority to do this from Satan, where does he get it from? Well, when it comes to having authority over demons, it seems there's really only two options. There's Satan, who has authority over his minions, or there's God. And Jesus goes on to say, since I don't get my authority from Satan, that means I get it from God. Have a look at verse 20. He's just finished saying, I don't get power from Satan. Verse 20, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God. See, Jesus is suggesting that he gets his power to drive out demons from God, which is really significant because there is no bigger source of power and authority than that. Now, I had a picture to try and help us get our head around the bigness of God's power and authority, but the screen's not working. So I want you to try and imagine when you're sometimes looking through the sunlight and you can see bits of dust floating in the sunlight. Can you picture that image? Well, the image I had looked like that. There was actually a picture, though, taken back in 1990 from the Voyager 1 spacecraft. Just as it was about to leave our solar system, the scientists at NASA turned the cameras back towards the Earth for one last picture from about 3.7 billion miles away. And up in the corner of the picture was one tiny speck. And that speck was here. That tiny speck was home. That, That was us. On that tiny speck in the corner of the picture... uh, lives everyone that you love. Everyone that you know, everyone that you've ever heard of, everyone who's ever lived, lived out their lives on what looks like a tiny speck of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Our planet is just one tiny speck in one small galaxy. The universe is made up of hundreds of billions of galaxies and each one of those galaxies is made up of hundreds of billions of stars And each one of those stars is surrounded by its own planets. God made every single one of them. Which means he has more power and authority in his little finger than you and I could ever begin to imagine. And Jesus is saying here that he's harnessing the power from God's finger so as to drive out demons. And if that is true, then friends, something massive is here. Something incredibly enormous is being unleashed here. Because that amount of power, surely that can't be about just driving out one demon. Surely there's something far bigger going on here. Well, as it turns out, there is. Jesus goes on to say that if he really is doing this by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is here. Have a look again at verse 20. If I drive out demons by the finger of God then the kingdom of God has come to you. When we see Jesus drive out a demon by the finger of God here, that ought to alert us to why he's really here. He's really here to bring in the kingdom of God. He's here to re-establish God's rightful rule over everyone and everything. He's here to undo everything that went wrong back in Genesis 3. He's here to right everything that's been wrong with the world ever since. He's here to deal with sin. He's here to take away curse and replace it with blessing. 
He's here to take away the punishment of death. He's here to face God's judgment and wrath so God's people can approach him boldly and with confidence. He's here to disarm Satan and to render him powerless. He's here to overthrow, overpower Satan and destroy his kingdom. He's here to set people free from slavery and sin and death. That's what he said he was going to do, remember? He's here to release people from the power of Satan and from his demons. He's here to rescue people out of darkness. Bundle all that together and it means he's here to bring in God's kingdom. That's what he's talking about in verses 21 and 22 in that story of two strong men. The first strong man, that's meant to be Satan. He's armed, he's guarding his house, it appears to be safe. But then a second strong man comes along, the stronger man. That's Jesus. He's stronger, remember, because he's got all the power and authority from God. And you see what the stronger man does? He attacks and he overpowers the first guy and he destroys his house and he plunders it. Getting the picture here, Jesus has come with power and authority from God to overpower Satan and to destroy his kingdom. Are you starting to see what Jesus is unleashing here? Now, of course, driving out a demon, that's just one small step in the process. Driving out a demon is like testing the waters. It's like preliminary skirmishes. The big battle, the final showdown... That'll happen after Jesus finally gets to Jerusalem in Luke 19 and the following chapters. There in Jerusalem, Jesus will finally overpower and overthrow Satan by going to the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus will completely disarm Satan. On the cross, Jesus will thoroughly reverse the effects of Genesis 3. On the cross, Jesus will die for the sins of his people. He'll bear their punishment. He'll take away the power of sin so as to free them from slavery to sin. And three days later, there in Jerusalem, he'll rise again from death, never to die again, defeating death, taking away its power as well, so as to release his people from their fear of death. Here in Luke 11, Jesus drives out one demon. There in Jerusalem, Jesus will render Satan, the prince of demons, utterly impotent. He'll completely overthrow his kingdom. There in Jerusalem, Jesus will be victorious. He'll establish the kingdom of God. He'll establish his reign over all things for all eternity. So do you reckon you understand the true nature of what's being unleashed here? Because Jesus is unleashing the kingdom of God and that is immeasurably massive. In fact, it's so big that you can't ignore it. Even if you want to. Because Jesus goes on to say, essentially, everyone is caught up in this. You're either with me in the kingdom of God, or you're with the demons in the kingdom of Satan. Have a look at verse 23. He who is not with me is against me. When it comes to the kingdom of God, ignorance is no excuse. There is no sitting on the fence here. You cannot have a foot in in both camps. You're either with Jesus in the kingdom of God or you're against him in the kingdom of Satan. Those are the only two choices. But there's actually an even sharper divide than that. He who does not gather with me scatters, Jesus says. Now what do you reckon that means? 
Because it sounds like Jesus is saying, if you're not growing followers of Jesus, then you're turning people away from the kingdom. Do you reckon that sounds a bit harsh? I actually think that's what Jesus is saying here. I think he's saying if you're the type of person who comes along on a Sunday but all you do is sit there and let it wash over you and it makes no difference, then maybe you're doing more for Satan's cause than you are for Jesus' cause. If you say you're a Christian but you don't really take all that Jesus stuff too seriously, if you know all the right words to say but in all honesty your life is no different to the world around you, if you're not paying the most careful attention to what God has said to us through Jesus, if you're not encouraging one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of us are hardened by sin's deceitfulness, if you're not leaving the elementary teachings behind and moving on to maturity in Christ, then I think this passage is saying that you're doing more to turn people away from the kingdom than you are to bring them into the kingdom. If you're not on about wanting others to follow Jesus, then maybe you haven't understood the kingdom of God at all. So let me ask you again. Do you understand the true nature of what Jesus is unleashing here? Jesus drives out a demon in one verse. Luke spends the next 22 verses explaining what that means because he wants us to get this. He wants us to understand. He wants us to be sure just what Jesus is unleashing. He's unleashing the kingdom of God. And Luke wants us to understand that because the kingdom of God is something you want to be on the right side of. Jesus goes on to tell the story of an evil spirit coming out of a man. Only for that spirit to come back, bringing with it seven more spirits who are more wicked than the first one. And he tells that story so as to make the point that if you don't get on board with the kingdom of God, then you are going to get smashed. Have a look at verse 24. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they all go in and live there, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Back in verse 14, Jesus drove a demon out of a man, but that's not the end of the story. In fact, that's just sweeping the house clean, so to speak. The big question is, who's going to be the master of that house now? Is that man going to get on board with the kingdom of God? Is that man going to trust Jesus? Is that man going to let the stronger man guard his house? Or is he going to put his trust in the first guy, the strong man? Is he going to stay in the kingdom of Satan, a kingdom that's already been defeated? If he does that, do you see, he'll be worse off at the end than he was at the beginning. The kingdom of God is something you want to get on the right side of. So how do you make sure you're on board with the kingdom of God? Jesus says you listen to him and you obey him. So you have a look at verse 28. A woman called out to Jesus, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And in verse 28, Jesus replies, well, no, you've actually missed the point. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. How do you get on board with the kingdom of God? You listen to Jesus and you obey him. It's the same thing down in verse 31. 
The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. See, the Queen of Sheba, she listened to King Solomon. She sought out his wisdom. But now Jesus is here, and he's greater than Solomon. And the kingdom of God is here, and it is way better than Solomon's wisdom. So you're going to listen to Jesus? You're going to get on board with the kingdom of God? You're going to learn from the Queen of Sheba? It's the same again in verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. See, the people of Nineveh, they listened to Jonah when he told them to repent and turn to God. Well, guess what? Jesus is here, and he's greater than Jonah, and the kingdom of God is here, and the consequences for not getting on board with that, they defy description. If you're not on the right side of the kingdom of God, you're going to get smashed. So are you going to listen to Jesus? Are you going to get on board with his kingdom? Are you going to learn from the people of Nineveh? We're actually going to spend the next few weeks thinking about what it means to listen to Jesus, what it means to obey him. We'll think a lot about what it actually looks like to live in the kingdom of God now. But friends, for this morning, do you understand the true nature of what's being unleashed here by Jesus? Because it's not just about demons and unclean spirits. It's not just about exorcisms and healings. This isn't about making life better or more comfortable or easier. This is far bigger than all that stuff. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about the kingdom of God coming. This is about you getting on board with Jesus and his kingdom. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. So are you with Jesus? Are you on board with his kingdom? Do you listen to him? Do you obey him? I hope so. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for this bit of your word and what it's shown us about him. Father, thanks that Jesus had power from you to drive out demons, to release people from sickness and death and to free them from, from the power of Satan and from his demons. But Father, thanks that even more than that, what we've seen this morning is that Jesus came not just to drive out a demon, but to overthrow Satan, to disarm him, to overpower him, to render him, excuse me, impotent, to bring in your kingdom. Father, help us to understand something of that. Help us to get on board with Jesus. Help us to listen to him. Help us to trust him, to rescue us from the power of evil to rescue us from darkness and to bring us into your kingdom. Help us to listen to him and obey him, please. We pray these things in his name. Amen.